0: I have waited a long time to justify wearing a lion's jersey on Sunday morning. It's a good day. I am hopeful that next Sunday I can justify wearing my Barry Sanders jersey. We will see. Um, But that's enough about clergy dress code. Uh, Pull out your Bibles and turn them to 2 Chronicles chapter 6. Second Chronicles chapter 6, we've been in a series called the story learning, the story, the Bible as one continuous story of God and people. And so you know where Second Chronicles kind of falls into that timeline. Um, Genesis, of course, God creates the world. Exodus is a story of Moses and the Israelites leaving. That's also Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. They're in the wilderness. Joshua, they get to the promised land and they start going in. Judges is those years of absolute chaos where they have no king and they're trying to establish their nation. First Samuel covers the life of, first and second Samuel, covers the life of the first two kings that the prophet Samuel anointed, King Saul and King David. And then you have first and second kings, which takes place right after with King David's son, King Solomon, and all the kings that follow, and then you have First and Second Chronicles, which is a repeat. All right, First Chronicles covers from, let's see, Saul all the way to the very last king. All right, so there's a lot of repetitive information in Second Chronicles, but sometimes we get different details too. Okay, so we're going to be looking um, about King Solomon because last Sunday we talked about King David. But ever since I started pastoring here 19 months ago, I have asked you guys to pray one sentence every day. And that sentence has changed from time to time, but basically it's the easiest ask that you're ever going to hear from a preacher. You know, just, okay, pray this one sentence every day. Knowing full well that not all of us are going to pray it every day, including myself, right? But if most of us pray it most days, we will see miracles happen. Because prayer is an invitation for God to work. That's what it is. It's an invitation for God to do the kinds of things that only he is capable of doing. And as we've been praying these simple, like, one-sentence prayers, we've seen God do miracles here. We have, like, 18 months ago, we had all these chairs piled up back there. Because we didn't need them, and now we do. Maybe not on days when it's like negative 22. But um, <laughs> usually we need all these chairs. We've even brought in more. Uh, we've seen people get saved and baptized. We're seeing lives transformed. Two months ago, uh, Pastor Eric and I sat with a couple. And one spouse was just done. Just done ready for divorce. The other spouse was depressed And we met again with them two months later and it's like a hundred and eighty degree change We were just blown away at the work god did in two months where they're excited about their marriage full of hope Their communication is much better. They're talking about how much they enjoy being together They've got a plan for how to keep improving their marriage. It's a miracle We've been seeing God do a miracle in a cul-de-sac over here where it's like God started working in one family and that spilled over to the next family and then the next neighbor. It's, it's amazing. But God is healing and transforming lives as we persist in praying and asking Him to work. Some people think, you know, why pray? Because God's just going to do what God wants to do anyways. I mean, after all, he's God, right? Other people look around the world and like, why pray? Because clearly God's not doing anything. Otherwise, we wouldn't be in such a mess, and clearly he doesn't care or doesn't exist. The Bible stands in opposition to both of those views. It's over, very clear in the Bible That God says he created this world perfect. He gave it to us as a gift to rule over. And so life on this earth in its present state is a direct cause of human rulership. We have nobody to blame but ourselves. And God respects his decision to give us rulership of this earth. And he respects us. So he doesn't force himself on us. But he gets involved when we ask him to. That's how he respects his decision to let us rule. Over and over again, the Bible says, you know, God loves you. He's got a good plan for you. He is perfectly capable of making that plan happen. But he will only do it if we ask him to. It's almost like God has sidelined himself. And he's like the superstar player just waiting to get in the game. Like, come on, put me in, put me in, come on, you know? And, and he tries to encourage us to put him in the game. He gives us blessings. And he's like, see how good I am, see what I can do, you know? But we ignore his blessings and we just think, you know, we've earned them with our own strength somehow, you know? And so God's like, okay, all right, you'll just, I'll wait, let you play on your own. I'm going to get hurt. You know, like, ah. okay, okay, is it a big enough mess now that you'll let me play? You know, like, that, that's, that's what it is all about. And prayer is inviting God to come and play and do his work in his lives. He's not going to force himself on us, but at the same time, he's not going to be controlled by us. He calms to call his own place. Not our place. God responds when we ask him to do his will in our life. Not our own will. I've talked about this before. Our own will. Sometimes what we want is good. Sometimes what we want looks good. But it has long-term ramifications we can't foresee. And God, he sees everything. He knows everything. So he will come only to do what is he knows is in our best interest and in the best interest of everyone around him. So since October, as we've been in this series, the one sentence that I've asked you to pray is, Lord, build our lives on your word. On your word. Not on our will, but on what your word says your will is. And last Sunday, we learned about King David. A deeply flawed man. Who deeply loved God. And 2 Samuel 7 records how Daniel, or I'm sorry, David, he was a shepherd boy and he got to the point where he's sitting on his throne in Jerusalem. In 2 Samuel chapter 7. And he's just in awe of everything God has done in his life. And he's like, you know what, here I am in this beautiful house and sitting on a throne and god in the ark of the covenant is in a tent he's like i want to make a home a house for god's presence to dwell in and god speaks to um, david through the prophet nathan and he says okay david do you really think you can build a house for me to dwell in But i'll tell you what i'll do i'm going to establish your house I'm going to establish for you a line that will continue as long as your descendants obey me. You will never fail to have an heir on the throne of Israel. And David's just blown away. He like goes before the Lord and he just pours out his heart and he's like, "Who am I, God, that you would do this for me?" And um, so, and God tells him, "Look, you've shed too much blood to build." my house of worship so your son who's a man of peace can do it and so king david as an act of worship he makes all the arrangements all the plans he gets all the supplies for the temple he draws up the plans he has all the furnishings commissioned and then at the end of his life when he dies he points his son solomon king and says here you go and this is like no pressure solomon right like, your father's, the first great king of Israel. He was king 40 years, and this is his, like, dying wish. And everybody's going to know if Solomon's kingship is legit and whether or not he's able to accomplish this. So Solomon goes ahead. It takes seven years to build the temple. And Second Chronicles picks up where Solomon is standing before all of Israel they've gathered. Almost everyone in Israel has been working on this project and supporting it in one way or another for seven years. So he's on a platform, all Israel's in front of him, and the temple, the newly gold-plated, constructed temple is behind him. It's beautiful. It's amazing. But Solomon also knows it's just an empty building. Right? doesn't matter how great it looks. If God is not going to do something with it is just an empty building god somehow has to make it sacred and so he prays this prayer of dedication for the temple and i just wanted to read it with you guys and look at how solomon prays for his church because that's what it was and how god then responds and then talk about the way we pray for our church okay So Second Chronicles chapter six, we're gonna start in verse fourteen. You'll see a heading heading, Solomon's Prayer of Dedication, and then a couple of verses down it says verse fourteen at the end of that first paragraph there. All right. It says he stood on a platform and he knelt down. Before the whole assembly of Israel, and he spread out his hands toward heaven. So he's like this. Well, he's praying this prayer. And he said, Lord, the God of Israel, there is no God like you in heaven or on earth. You who keep your covenant of love with your servants, who continue wholeheartedly in your way. You have kept your promise to your servant David, my father, who your mouth, who with your mouth you have promised, And with your hand, you have fulfilled it as it is today. He's saying, you promised to give him an heir on the throne, and here I am, right? Now, Lord, the God of Israel, keep for your servant David, my father, the promise you made to him when you said, you shall never fail to have a successor sit before me on the throne of Israel. If only your descendants are careful in all they do, to walk before me according to my law, as you have done. And now, Lord, the God of Israel, let your word that you promised your servant David come true. And this next verse is a kicker. You can just listen to this one. He's saying this in front of all Israel. But will God really dwell on earth with humans? The heavens, even the highest heavens cannot contain you. How much less this temple I built? It's like he's having a crisis of doubt in front of the whole nation. They spent seven years building this. It was his father's dream to build a house where God's presence would dwell. And he's like, is that really the way it works? I mean, the creator of the universe, the highest heavens can't even contain him. Is he really going to come and dwell in, in this that we built for him? Verse 19, next verse. Yet, Lord, my God. Give attention to your servant's prayer and his plea for mercy. Hear the cry, the prayer that your servant is praying in your presence. May your eyes be open towards this temple, day and night, this place which you said you would put your name there. And may you hear the prayer of your servant as he prays towards this place. Hear the supplications of your servant and of your people Israel when they pray toward this place. Hear from heaven, your dwelling place. And when you hear, forgive. And he goes on. You can see it's a long prayer. I'm not going to read all of it. I'll summarize. But he says over and over again, God, just pay attention to what happens here. See, hear. And not only what happens here, but even when your people aren't here, and they're praying to you, and they're just like facing towards the temple, see that too. And whenever we sin and he has lots of examples of when they sin and he says you know like when we're getting defeated by our enemies because we sin when there is famine because we sin when there's plagues because we sin and we realize finally what we've done and we turn to you and we pray and ask for forgiveness forgive us and restore us solomon also asked for justice That if like two neighbors are fighting and they come to the temple, God will make it obvious who is innocent and who has wronged the other one. He also prays that God will not just hear the prayers of the people of Israel, but of immigrants, of anyone who comes because they've heard about God and they come and they pray at anyone, God will hear their prayers. So verse 40, he kind of wraps it all up. Verse 40, he says, Now, my God, may your eyes be open and your ears attentive to the prayers offered in this place. Right here. God, may your eyes be open and your ears attentive to the prayers we pray in this place. And God, we know that your church is not just a building, it's us. So wherever we go, God, be attentive to our prayers. Now arise, Lord God, and come to your resting place, you and the ark of might. May your priests, Lord, be clothed with salvation. May your faithful people rejoice in your goodness. God, do not reject your anointed one. And remember the great love you promised to David, your servant. Chapter 7, verse 1. When Solomon finished praying, God answered. Fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices, and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. The priests could not even enter the temple because the glory of the Lord filled it. When all the Israelites saw the fire coming down and the glory of the Lord above the temple, they knelt on the pavement with their faces to the ground, and they worshiped. And gave thanks to the Lord, saying, "He is good; his love endures forever." And they went on to have a celebration that lasted a few weeks. They had a good time. And um, after Solomon sent them home, God appeared to Solomon at night. We're going to read that as soon as I take a drink. You'll see a heading: "The Lord Appears to Solomon." Verse eleven, you guys there? All right. When Solomon had finished the temple of the Lord and the royal palace, and had succeeded in carrying out all he had in mind to do in the temple of the Lord and in his own palace, the Lord appeared to him at night and said, "I have heard your prayer, the prayer of dedication that he just had been praying. I have heard your prayer." And I have chosen this place for myself as a temple for sacrifices. When I shut up the heavens so there is no rain, or command locusts to devour the land, or send a plague among my people, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and heal their land. This is God's formula for bringing healing to a nation. And it doesn't only apply to the Israelites. He doesn't say, if my people of Israel. That's not what he says. He he says, if my people who are called by my name. Meaning anyone who identifies themselves as a follower of God. As Christians were called by the name of Christ, right? So this promise extends to us today. Now, we know that our nation is struggling, right? I mean, that's the one thing all politicians can agree on. Um, and everyone blames everybody else for why we're struggling. And uh, we do this not only with our nation, but we do this with our family. Oh, our family's struggling because of this or my my person over here, my um, job is awful because of that person over there. You know, we always blame it on other people. And we always think if those people out there or over there will get their act together, then life would be better. And then we'd have God blessing us again. And God says, actually, it's my people it's my people it's it's not just the people out there that need to repent but it's my people who need to repent in this verse it's both encouraging and offensive it's offensive because religious people don't like to be told they have wicked ways And that's what he says. He says, if my people who are called by my name humble themselves, pray and seek my face and turn from their, not just not so good ways, but their wicked ways. That's what he says. And we can either get offended by that and be like, I don't have what, I don't have wicked ways. And just slam the door on what God wants to do. Or we can humble ourselves and be like David. Who asked God, he said, search me God. And see if there's any offensive way in me. Show me what it is. The verse is also encouraging. Very encouraging. Because first of all, it means like our land, our nation, our community, it can be healed. It absolutely can be. It's encouraging because it says God wants to heal us and our land. It doesn't say, oh, I might heal them. Maybe I'll heal them. I'll think about it. No, he says, I will heal their land. It's also encouraging because it means we control whether or not our land is healed. It's up to us. It's not up to government politicians to get their act together it's not up to all the people we don't like out there it's up to us whether or not god is going to heal our land it doesn't mean we have the power to do it we don't have the power but it it's like we're the gatekeepers god's people are the gatekeepers on whether or not god is going to come and do his transformative healing work And that's why I think the single most powerful thing we do as a church happens on Thursdays at 10:15 a.m. When we gather and we pray together and we humble ourselves. We just listen to God's word and then we pray individually and we come together and we pray as a group. And I know that time doesn't work for a lot of people because you're working, but if it does work for you, if you're not working, come. Because we need you. Because it's through prayer that God's power is unleashed. Joining together with other believers in prayer is the single most powerful thing we can do to transform our lives, our families, and our community. The second most powerful thing, I think, is all the prayers that you are praying on your own. For yourselves and for our church. Those little sentences. You know, Lord, help us build Our lives on your word. Many of you last May adopted other sentence prayers, too. I hope you're still praying them. We had, like, Lord, teach us to pray. Lord, help us walk in your rhythm. Lord, make us clean. Lord, help us see people as you do. Right? All of those prayers. Those are so important. That's what's bringing the change. God, guys, how do I say this? Prayer and God's word work together. God's word tells us what we need to change in our lives, what we need to repent of, and if we don't know God's word and we're ignorant of it, we just keep shooting ourselves in the foot. So we need to know God's word. But if we are not praying and asking God to come and move and work, we are incapable of applying God's word. It doesn't matter what I say up here. If the Holy Spirit isn't moving in us to apply it to our lives. So keep praying. It's by far the most efficient and effective thing you can do. We work so hard. All of us, we work so hard to try to bring about positive change in our lives, in our families, in our communities. And we achieve what we can achieve but when we stop and humble ourselves before god and pray and seek him and let him change us we achieve what god can achieve and that's way better way better prayer is the most efficient and effective thing you can do with your time so keep praying keep reading and listening to god's word And let it make you uncomfortable. Let God's word make you uncomfortable. I don't know how to read God's word without feeling both encouraged and uncomfortable. Like almost every single time. The Bible says God's word is a double-edged sword. (laughs) It encourages and it convicts. Right? And it doesn't just convict people who don't know God. Jesus, the Word of God in flesh, offended religious people who followed God. So much that they killed Him. The Word of God isn't just for people out there. It's also to make us feel uncomfortable. But sometimes we think as, because we follow God, then we always have to be so right and so strong. And it's exactly that feeling of I'm right and I'm strong and I have to be right and I have to be strong that puts up a barrier to what God wants to do. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, pray, seek my face, and turn from their wicked way you got to take time to let God speak to you about the things you don't want to hear about. God, he doesn't make us uncomfortable just for the point of making us uncomfortable. He makes us uncomfortable because he wants to lead us to a better life. And if we will do this, he will not only give us a better life, but he promises to bless everybody around us too. And heal our land. We don't have to wait for the people out there to repent. If we start repenting and letting God change us, He will bless us and them out there. That's the way it works. So I just want to encourage you to let God get into the game of your life. And let Him make the plays. Including the ones that you don't want to make. <laughs> To answer Solomon's question, does God actually want to come to earth and dwell with humans? Yeah. Yes, absolutely he does. That's the whole story of the Bible. He walked and talked with Adam and Eve in the garden. And then when we kicked him out. Okay, I told humans they're going to rule the world. Hmm, well let me become a human. And God the Son came as a human, as Emmanuel, God with us. And he still says, Revelation 3.20, Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. He wants to be active and dwelling and living and working in your life. And prayer is the way that you invite him to do it, but you 've got to let him do what he wants to do let 's pray god i I thank you that you respect us you don 't force yourself on us, but I thank you that you also don 't abandon us that you 're just waiting. To bring your goodness and your power and your healing and your justice and your love and your peace and your joy. All of that. You're just waiting to bring it into our lives. And not only in us, but into our whole land. And so God, I pray because I, I know myself. I can't humble myself. I always have a tendency towards pride. And so, God, I pray that in my heart and all of our hearts, you will move in us to make us humble. To help us realize how much we depend on you, how much we need you, and that we will become people of prayer who seek your face. And, God, when you convict us of sin, that we will listen. And you will empower us to turn from our sinful ways. So that you can heal us and restore us and heal our nation. Because, God, we desperately need you. God, as I was thinking about this sermon, I just thought, you know what? It's not just that you're a player who can come in and, like, call the plays. Like, you can play at every position in our lives. And that's what we need you to do. Because sometimes we let you play some positions and not others. And so, God, I just pray you, you would help us open ourselves up so that you will be able to play in every position that you want to play in our lives. We trust you that you are good and that your ways are good. And give us courage even when we don't understand what you're doing. And give us patience when it seems to take too long. And give us eyes to understand the long-term blessings you are bringing in our lives. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.